Toronto Maple Leafs fans here. <laughs> there are a few of us around, I know that, yes. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you've you got to be made of something special to be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, right? Like 52 years since we had this, the, the Stanley Cup. You know, in the, in the last 13 seasons, we got to the, uh, to the playoffs three times, and each one of those times were put out in the first round. Uh, you, 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 you could kind of continue to say, yeah, I'm a fan. Um, there's, there's sort of this, this stick to itiveness. You know, I, I think at least it's not the news of New Jersey Devils, right? Like, who names their team the Devils? Like, really, right? Um, so, so, you know, I take some encouragement from that. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Maybe this year is going to be a little better. They're, well, isn't that the life of a fan, though? Like, if you're, if you're a sports enthusiast, and even if you're just kind of casual about sport, but like, that seems to be kind of the, the lot. We, we, we ride the wave, don't we? Oh, we won one. Oh, we lost one. Oh, we, you know, and it's up and down. Wait, maybe this is the year. Oh, this is not going to be the year. Well, there's always next year, <laughs> right? You know, and that's kind of the way that it goes for those of us who pay any attention to sport at all. Um, this is how some people follow Jesus, though. They, they follow Jesus, like they, they put on the jersey and, and they wave the flag. Oh, but, you know, there's always next year. You know, it's, it's kind of riding this wave of, oh, we're good. No, we're not. And Jesus is calling us to something very different than fandom. Uh, something very different than kind of just putting on the jersey and hoping. Um, Jesus is calling us to trust him. Uh, he's calling us to to walk by faith. He's asking us to do more than just kind of walk by faith. He needs us to know that life itself is found in a faith walk with him. And this is something very different than kind of a casual interest in Jesus or, or an occasional loyalty to Jesus. This is life itself and it's what he wants you and me to experience now and through eternity. Life, life it is found by grace because of Christ through faith. This is actually taking some language from the historic church. I mean, in the Latin, it was gratis propter Christum, perfideum. Gratis, completely free. Propter Christum, because of Jesus. Perfideum, rightly, completely recognized. Disciples, followers of Jesus, live life trusting Jesus. We walk by faith in him, and in so doing, we experience life. Now, with that in mind, with that kind of little introduction in mind, I'm going to read this passage this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 8. We're in the New International Version. Uh, we started in chapter 8 last Sunday, and we're continuing through the chapter this week as Matthew tells us about his encounters with Jesus and intends us to learn some profound truths about him and specifically about journeying with him, specifically about what it means to be a disciple. So one more time, why don't you stand with me? It's good for your circulation, if nothing else. In the New International Version, it will be on the screen if you can see it there. I'm starting at verse 18 of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. This is the word of the Lord. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, 
Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When he arrived at the other side, in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want, Parthas, son of God? They shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave the region. It's the word of the Lord. And he helped us understand it and apply it in our lives this morning. We'll see you. Disciples, followers of Jesus, live life, experience life, trusting Jesus. We walk by faith. Have you ever wondered, thought about the fact that this is actually really a strange story? Like, there are several things going on. Like, that's just strange. What is that about? I mean, the first one I would point out to us would be this sort of opening scene that Matthew paints for us. Jesus has said we're going to the other side of the lake, and up comes this, this Ivy League candidate for discipleship. Like, this guy, is, this guy's got to make the team, right? He's a scribe. Now, most of the time when Jesus encounters the scribes, it's in confrontation. These are guys who are contesting Jesus. They don't believe Jesus. Uh, they're, they're arguing with him. And Jesus is pointing out the deficits in their theology, their perspective of the world, their understanding of God. But this guy comes, and, 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 and you would think that Jesus would be like, yeah, finally we're gaining some ground because this guy's got some moxie. This guy's got something going on. You're on the team. But no. I mean, Jesus, Jesus says, like, not so fast. Think this through, would you? Like, I'm not sure you have thought this through. This university has no residence. It offers no meal plans. And frankly, the faculty has been marginalized by the majority of academia. Those who, who are, have heard Jesus haven't actually believed him. They've marginalized him. They've said they don't trust him. You should know these things before you sign on the dotted line. Because this is what this was about. This was about a, a, a student wanting to sign on with a rabbi in order to study with them. That version of university studies. And Jesus says, hang on a minute. Where I be saying, look, surely this guy should be making the team. I, there's something in me that wants to correct Jesus here. I don't know about you. Like, Jesus, come on, just put a little salesmanship into this, would you? Like, you know, it's better than all that. 
You know, I mean, at least, you know, we only work Sundays, right? <laughs> Retirement plans out of this world. Come on, just, you know, find a way to, to spin it in, in a constructive, positive, attractive kind of way. But Jesus here is saying, look, if you're truly going to follow me, then everything else is going to have to come second. You've got your sermon notes, you can follow along in them. But if you're truly going to follow me, everything else is going to have to come second. He says in verse 28, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now this is the first time that Matthew has quoted Jesus as referring to himself as Son of Man. It's actually one of his favorite ways of describing himself in the Gospels. It's a bit of an ambiguous term. Scholars aren't quite sure what to make of it. What did Jesus intend to communicate when he applied that label to himself? Because it's a label that shows up in the Old Testament prophets. Uh, and in the book of Ezekiel, God uses it to describe, to speak to Ezekiel. He says, son of man, would you, you know, and he, multiple times through that Old Testament book. And it seems to be intent that the God is... Allowing Ezekiel to be representative of, of mankind, of humanity, calls him son of man. And, and in this representation, God is speaking to Ezekiel representatively. Now, the, the term shows up in the, in the book of Daniel as well. Uh, Daniel gets used that way, but it also gets used. Daniel uses it as a term to describe the ancient of days who's coming on the clouds. And we recognize, well, this is also a term that is being applied in the Old Testament scriptures to God himself. So we kind of bring it all together and say, well, what was what, we don't really fully understand what Jesus fully intended, but at least it's this. This title suggests that, that Jesus comes to all of humanity, representing all of humanity, as God come among us. Now, it's a powerful term. It's a loaded, it's a term that's loaded with content. And Jesus is telling his first guy to come, he said, look, the securities and the assurances that come from following many of the rabbis who would give you a home to live in, who would provide your meals for you while you study, none of that's going to happen here. This is not the deal you're signing up for here, for with me. Jesus is calling followers, not fans, and, and this is going to be one of the ways that's going to differentiate those who are kind of the hangers-on, the fans. We talked about this back in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the crowds had gathered, and then Jesus speaks to his disciples. And the crowd's kind of listening on, but he's, he's teaching the disciples, those who have signed on, those who are, are who, who have made the team, who have said, look, I'm in with you. The hangers-on wear the jersey, but, but, but the disciples are on the ice with Jesus. They're riding the ups and downs of the season with Jesus. Uh, they are working, laboring with him in this venture. And it begins with them acknowledging that everything else is going to come second. This is an all-in an all commitment that Jesus is calling us to. Frederick Br Brunner, um, writer of a book called The Christ Book, um, he describes this guy. He, he, he says, let's give him the name Hasty Scholar. Hasty Scholar. Um, and at this point, Hasty Scholar seems to be kind of an inquirer. Like, he's kicking the tires, he's asking some questions. Um, he's a seeker. Now, now don't, don't be mistaken, Jesus loves seekers. He loves those who are asking questions, the curious. He loves them. Come, ask your questions. Seek me. Try to understand better. 
But at some point, the seeker, at some point, the curious needs to make a commitment and step toward Jesus and say, okay, everything else is going to come second. get the sense that maybe Hasty Scholar has been kind of surveying the options? The kind of language that is being used here. Jesus, I, I've surveyed the options, I've kind of checked out some of the other rabbis that are around, and I'm picking you. Uh, this is your lucky day, because uh, clearly I'm a scholar. Scholars were professional copiers of scripture. Uh, these were guys who knew scripture well. People looked to them uh, for instruction because they've been copying scripture, because they knew the text so well. They were the human photocopier of the day. And this guy is just a smart guy. Like, this is going to look good on Jesus' website. Right? You know, this is one of the guys who's studying with me. And yet, in this strange story, Jesus says, we're going to the other side of the lake, and this guy who should be, you know, a hasty scholar should be kind of, he's like, woohoo, let's go, let's go sailing. I'm in with you, Jesus. And she's saying, are you sure? You sure? You need to check your motivation on this. The second disciple comes along, and it's kind of the opposite situation. We'll call the second disciple hesitant son. Okay, so we've got a hasty scholar, we've got a hesitant son. Hesitant son is the one who's like, I'm going to bury, I need to bury my father first. Jesus says, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. And, and, and hesitant son says, uh, uh, I, I, I think we should think about this again. You know, now that come to think of it, uh, dad's getting a little old. Um, I, should, I should just check in with him. You know, this, the, time, the timing Jesus isn't quite right in my life. Maybe, maybe you know, those clouds I see in the end? Maybe there's a, a window of time in my life when it's going to be more convenient. It's going to work a little better for me to kind of get in the boat with him. This is the guy to whom Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead, get in the boat with now, if I were picking my team, I don't think this guy would want it. I'd be going after Hasty Scholar. And Jesus has something else in mind. They no longer, they, don't, they, they, they just pushed out from shore. Maybe we should make this point. We don't, we don't actually know who's in the boat. Matthew never tells us. Um, uh, did Hasty Scholar get in the boat? I don't know. Uh, did a uh, hesitant son? get in the boat. Jesus said get in the boat. Did he get in the boat? We don't know. Matthew doesn't fill in that detail for us. A typical first century kind of Galilean fishing boat was about 27 feet long. It actually exhumed one from the mud in the Sea of Galilee. You can go to Kibbutz on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and see this thing. Um, uh, they're about 27 feet long. I didn't measure this out, but I'm thinking kind of roughly from the end of those chairs over to about the end of these chairs. Something, I'm guessing, and they're about eight feet deep. So about four, three to four chairs deep, okay? And, and four, about four feet high, the gunnel it would be. So that's a pretty decent sized boat. You know, they'd be able to put fish in it. Now, would you guys just all turn and face this way? Okay, we'll just kind of visualize. You guys turn to, okay, here we are. Here's our boat. Here's our boat, and we can see, you know, the, the four feet high. Here's roughly where we, so, so we head out on the Sea of Galilee, and, and here, you know, I turned you the wrong way. You better turn the other way. Let's make the bow of the boat here. We'll start in the boat over there. We're going to make the bow of the boat over here. There we go. You're facing all these friends. You can go over here. But, but, but they head out on the Sea of Galilee, 
in, in, this, in this vessel. It's a, it's a seaworthy vessel. Uh, if you've ever been to Ontario, um, Lake, uh, Lake Simcoe is about the same size as the Sea of Galilee. Now that could be a fairly treacherous body of water. I was out a few years ago with Anne's cousin. We were in a like, 16 foot bow rider. And we were over on the other side of the lake. We started on the north side of the east side of the lake. We went over to Guilford on the other side of the lake. This is just down on the south end of the lake. It's not the large, wide body part of the lake. Um, and we made our, we got over there, and all of a sudden we saw storm clouds coming. And, and in many lakes, like the Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level, and there are these, these valleys, and the wind comes down and it whips in furiously. The storms come fast, and then it whips them into, uh, into a frenzy. Um, we were out on uh, Lake Simcoe, and, uh, and all of a sudden we saw storm clouds coming, and uh, we're like, ooh, man, we better get out of here. We better head back across the lake. We start heading across the lake. There's um, maybe 10 of us in the boat. And, and, and then the storm comes, you know, and the waves, the three, four feet high. And all you could kind of do, you know, was kind of just power through the waves, not go too fast, you know, otherwise you'd be, you'd be risking, um, and, and just kind of slowly make your way. Now, we had a 200 horsepower inboard motor on this thing. You know, that's kind of a nice way to have to address the storm if you've got to address the storm. We're, here's, here's Jesus and his disciples in this boat. There's no power other than wind, and the wind is dangerous right now. The, the storms in the Sea of Galilee would be, are known to, you know, when they get ferocious, whip up to eight or, or, or nine feet um, when, when the winds really start to stir up the, 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 the water, the body of water. It's a fresh body of water, by the way, called the Sea of Galilee, but it's fresh water. Um, so here we are, we're in the boat, we're kind of, kind of anticipating getting to the other side. Anybody get in the boat? Thinking that this was going to be smooth sailing, I did. Like, like nobody gets in the. Nobody says, "Oh, hey, storm clouds, let's go sailing," <laughs> right? You know, I mean, surfers do that, but but sailors do not do that. You know, it's like there's enough nice steady breeze. Now's the time to get in the boat and go for a nice cruise. Um, and, and so they get into the boat. The, the waves begin. It says quickly, come up, and, and all of a sudden, you know, the, there's this commotion. Um, I knew that it was time to panic when I saw in the eyes of the seasoned sailors that they were terrified. Okay, there's at least four of them there who are fishermen. They've been on this, this sea all their life. Grew up there, know the water, know the boat, know how to manage the storm. Terrified. You know, all of a sudden they're in and the waves are crashing over the bow of the boat. Here, let's make this a little more realistic. Waves are crashing over the bow of the boat, over the side of the boat. It said that they're like, frankly, they're at risk of, of capsizing. And Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. Now, this is the guy who just, like, a, just a, a few verses earlier said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he's rolled up his, his bed sheet or his jacket, and he's laid his head at the back of the boat and he's fallen fast asleep. I bet Jesus seems to be exhausted. And, 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 and it's in this situation as the waves are crashing over the boat, and you can imagine the commotion as the seasoned sailors are, are barking orders to the rest of, uh, of the, the people in the boat. James, get the sail down, man! Come on, Peter, can you keep the bow of the boat into the wind? It's our only hope. Keep the bow of the wind. And when they have exhausted all of their sailor expertise, all of their fishermen know-how, this is when they wake Jesus up. Why do you wake up a carpenter when you're in the middle of the sea and ask him for help? Like, what's he going to do? They turn to Jesus in their desperation because they know. All of their other options are gone. Tried every sailor trick in the book. All of my fishermen know how has been spent. We're done. 
we're done. That next wave may be the one that we wave bye-bye. Because we are in mortal peril. And this is when they come to recognize. But when we submit our lives to Jesus, acknowledging that everything else comes second, that is when we begin to experience him as the one who commands even the storms that we face. I'm old enough to have lived through a few storms in my life. I suspect many of you would say, yeah, been there, felt the torrent. I remember one storm in particular, it felt like a storm in particular. Uh, moved uh, across the country to accept a ministry uh, invitation in Edmonton, called to serve in Edmonton. Uh, had only really been kind of on staff effectively for a couple of weeks when Christmas hit. And Christmas Eve was a new thing for me, multiple services, uh, big church, I was leading worship and all of these things. And we were still unpacking boxes and I was trying to get insurance stuff figured out before the Christmas break hit. And uh, had asked, but it showed up late for rehearsal or later than it should have been, and uh, I disappointed team members, and we're still getting to know each other, and all of a sudden, we're like, bam, we're into these services, and some of the highest attendance services in, uh, in, in, the, in the calendar year, and I'm like, Jesus, where are you? I feel like I'm drowning here. Where, are you asleep? I know some of you have felt that way. We were praying for you on Tuesday morning, and and one of our, our prayer teams said, you know what, we're in a church that has been battered by the waves over the course of this past year. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, yeah, I am wet, true. You know, I am exhausted. Now, we're going to pray for one another this morning. Because we're people in need of the nearness who is our God, who is present. So somebody said, I'm okay as long as I remember that Jesus is the Lord. Uh, Jesus requires that storms will submit to him. Lord, save us. But you'll note that the storm came. Neither Jesus nor his disciples lived with storm immunity. The storm came no matter what. And while Jesus rested in who he is who he was, while well, he rested in his calling. You know what God's, God's called me to this? The disciples got frantic. They fretted and despaired. Now notice that I said disciples. Because Matthew is very clear about who's in the boat with them. He, he says in verse 23, then Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. So these are the guys who are on the team. These are the guys who have not just put on the jersey. These aren't just fans. They're, not, they're, they're in with Jesus. And, and we don't know, was Hasty Scholar among them? Did Hasty Scholar get in the boat? Did, did Hesitant Son get in the boat? We're, we're pretty sure, kind of by the sequencing of the way things go in the Gospels, that the twelve were present. So, so you've got you know, James and John, uh, Simon and Andrew, Philip and Bartholomew, uh, Thomas and, and Matthew, the other James and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas. They're, they're almost certainly all 12 in the book. Are, I mean, is Bartholomew a hasty scholar? We don't know a lot about some of these guys. You know, maybe, maybe hasty scholar is Thaddeus. 
Maybe James is hesitant, son. Dad's got this fishing business, and he's going to kind of check in on Dad, make sure things are okay. Jesus says, no, get in the boat. But they were in the boat, the storm's raging. They wake up the carpenter. Why, why? So why do they wake up the carpenter? They, they wake up the carpenter to fix the storm because in the natural world, they were out of options. Like there was no reasonable natural solution. They're desperate. All of the tricks have been used up. Which to me makes Jesus' response that much stranger. Jesus says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Isn't it obvious? The waves are breaking over the boat. We're sinking. Like the next wave is likely to capsize us. Why are we afraid? So, so we need to hear that question from Jesus one more time. Why are you afraid? Because what we begin to realize, and Matthew's painting this picture for us, is this is a growth opportunity for the disciples of Jesus. Why were they so afraid? They were so afraid because they had an inadequate knowledge of who Jesus was and is. They had not fully reckoned who it was that was in the boat with them. This storm has exposed for them the fact that they need to grow in their relationship with Jesus. They need to grow in their trust of Jesus. This is going to be an opportunity for their faith to be strengthened through the rigors of the storm. Now they had some experience with Jesus, right? I mean, these guys have been with Jesus. Most of them have been with him for, for months at least. They've seen Jesus heal people. They've seen Jesus cast demons out of people. They, they've seen extraordinary, they've heard the authoritative teaching of Jesus clearly presented. They've seen this rising star of popularity and this wave of, of people coming, the crowds coming, and they've seen Jesus getting weary in it. Why did he say we're going to the other side of the lake when the crowds showed up? I, I think a pretty good chance it was because he was, he was tapped out. It was time for, for, for some alone time with the disciples. Maybe it was because he knew there was a divine assignment on the other side of the lake with the demoniac. We'll get there in just a minute. But they're going to the other side of the lake, and Jesus, they've been here, they've seen all of this, and yet, and yet, they got in the middle of the lake and they feared for their life. And when we were in the middle of the lake and this monster storm showed up, and we saw the terror in the eyes of the sailors, and we knew this is super serious, this is, this is life and death kind of stuff, and then we woke Jesus up and he called us little faith. It's one word in the Greek. It's one word. You have little faith? Little faith. It's a little bit like Big Brother kind of giving a nickname to Little Brother. Hey, squirt, what you all worked up about? Okay? Little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up, verse 27, and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the only thing they can, they can manage to do in response is wonder and amazement. What kind of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, if they stood in amazement at what he did, what did they expect when they woke him up? Apparently not that. Apparently they had no idea what Jesus would do, but in desperation they knew they must cry out 
Even the winds and the waves obey him. This is a growth opportunity for Jesus' disciples. These young guys who've been with Jesus for a few months and are beginning to walk with him, and they've signed on to be trained, to be coached. This is university Jesus, and he's, he's beginning to pour into them. Where would they ever have, have, have come to this realization about Jesus if they'd not been in the storm? Like, like how was Jesus going to give them this lesson except through the endurance of the storm. What kind of man is this? He teaches with authority. He acts with authority. He even has the authority to cleanse sin. We looked at that last week. He has the authority to command healing. And here he even has the authority over the natural elements, the winds and the waves. And there's even more. Even the worst that the demonic realm has to throw at him must submit to his authority. Demons submit to Jesus. Let me just read it again for you. Verse 28 of chapter, uh, chapter 8. When they arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met them. Now this entire account, um, the, the, the calming of the sea and the encounter with the demoniac on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, both accounts are told also by Mark and Luke. There's some variations, some differences. Matthew distills it down. He leaves out a lot of the detail that those guys put in their account. Because Matthew's calling our attention to the fact that this is about the authority of Jesus to address uh, these circumstances. The other guys don't talk about one of the demoniacs, uh, perhaps because he was the prominent one or something. We don't know why. Uh, here, uh, Matthew's describing that there's both of them present. Two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met them. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Mark and Luke fill in more detail for us there. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. That, that shout um, was intent to, to take authority over the situation, to command Jesus. In the ancient world, uh, having a person's name, knowing a person's name, uh, was in part a, a way to affect control. Bill, come here, right? We still do that, right? You know, if you know someone's name, it works much better than hey you. Um, uh, this was an attempt to, to command, to get authority over Jesus. They shouted, have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Referring to the end of days when, when all things will be judged. The living and the dead will be judged, and, and Christ will affect his full and complete lordship over all that is. Now, now they immediately recognize they're defeated. Because they, they don't really wait for the answer to that. They, they begin looking for outs, for options. Some distance, from, uh, some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. And you may have noticed as we've been working our way through Matthew, Jesus' word is powerful. Like time and again, he says, with a word he healed. With a word he drove out. And here, again, go. So they came out, went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank. Um, one of the other gospels suggests there's about 2,000 pigs in the herd. This is a pretty significant thing. Uh, one of the other gospels tells us uh, that Jesus takes the time to ask the name 
uh, of uh, the, the demonic presences, the spirits that were inhabiting uh, these men, and, and the response comes legions. The Roman legion was about 6,000 soldiers. You're supposed to understand there were 6,000 demons afflicting these men. We're told that they were violent, they were obstructing the way, they were, they were impacting the commerce, they were impacting the travel of the people in that region. This was significant. This was significant in the entire region. It was significant and destructive in these men's lives. And we see that destruction continuing. Uh, go, they went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. Uh, this is a Gentile region. Jewish farmers would never have been caring for pigs. So there's several things that we come to understand. Uh, the Decapolis uh, were the ten cities kind of around the Sea of Galilee and up towards Syria. And this is the region that this is taking place in, the, the region of the Gadarenes. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. You see, this passage begins and ends. This, this narrative portion of Matthew begins and ends with death and burial. Let me go... Bury my father, but the dead bury me. Bury the dead. Pigs are dead, the demons are gone, and the dead people say, Leave us, leave us, please go away. That's hard to understand because we only need to go back just a few verses in Matthew's narrative to find out that Jesus has not come to bring death, he's come to bring life. The leper, beginning of chapter 8, the leper came to Jesus with a terminal diagnosis. And he says, Lord, if you will, you, he says, Lord, you can, will you? Jesus says, I will. And, and the, the Roman centurion came and he said, look, I recognize the way things work. And all you need to do is say the word and it's going to be done. Jesus does. And his, his servant was healed at that moment. These guys, the disciples who are on the team, they're on the ice with Jesus here. Jesus touched Peter's mom. And the fever left. And she got up and served him, waited on him, worshipped him. The crowd came that night. And he drove out the spirits with a word, it tells us, in verse 16. And healed all the sick. And then Matthew, making his point that Jesus has the authority and his followers trust him. He tells us about hasty scholar. And he tells us about hesitant son. And everything that took place on the lake that day. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Why did we doubt him? He said, we've already seen the effectiveness of his word. Why did we doubt him? We got in the boat with him. Why did we question whether it was not enough for Jesus to be in the boat with us? Why did that... Why did that not dawn on us? Apparently this is a season of growing, of learning, of experiencing him in new ways, and having our faith exercised like muscles. There's, there's some pain, isn't there? There's some pain when you overwork that muscle, with, but then strength follows. And he spoke and rebuked the winds and the waves, and one word is all Matthew records in confrontation with the demons. Go. Friends, apparently I need to know Jesus better than I do. Apparently I, I need to know Jesus better. What's the purpose that he's working in me through the storm that I'm currently experiencing? 
What is it that he, that just would not be refined in me if it were not for the buffeting of the winds, if it were not for the waves breaking over the bow of the boat, if it were not for me crying out, Jesus, you're my only hope. I cannot rely on my ingenuity, on my know-how, on my sailor expertise, on my fisherman's experiences of this sea. I can only look to you. I, you are going to come first. I'm going to look to you first. And you are the one who commands the storms of life. And you're the one, you're the one who, before whom every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And, and so here I am saying, grow me. Grow me, Jesus. I'm not a fan. I'm fan. I'm on the team. I'm in the boat with you, Jesus. Grow me. I think for our encouragement, the next time Matthew records the disciples getting into a boat, there's a recording of growth. Because that, that's the time when Jesus sent them off in the boat, chapter 14 of Matthew. Sent them off in the boat, and then Jesus came walking to them on the waves. And the, and, and the growth is Peter gets out of the boat, doesn't he? He gets out of the boat. He says, Jesus, Lord, call me. He gets out of the boat. He walks on the water. And then what happens? He's distracted. You know, sees the waves, sinks. Jesus grabs him, pulls him up, and uses the, uh, he uses the same plea. Jesus, help me. Lord, help me. Same, exact same words that were used the first time they were in the boat. Pulls him up onto the water and says, little faith. Little faith. But this time, when they all get in the boat, rather than say, what kind of man is this? They bow down and worship him. And say, truly, you are the son of God. There's growth. There's growth, and there's going to continue to be growth in the lives of these disciples. We're going, to, we're going to watch them walk through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And they're going to be there when the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. And they're going to grow in their knowledge and their understanding of what he wants to do in them and through them. And the day will come when Peter is going to be walking along the streets of Jerusalem. And people will long that his shadow would fall on them. And they would receive healing because the power of Jesus is so present in him. He's, he, know, he so knows Jesus. He so embodies Jesus. That extraordinary things are going on around him. And, and so, maybe, maybe you like me would say, yeah, a little faith. A little faith is probably uh, as much a title as I can hear from Jesus. But by God's grace, I'm going to persevere with him, hoping the day would come when he would say, actually, great faith. I haven't seen a great faith like that in a long time. Great faith all across this auditorium. Great faith. People of great faith. People who know Jesus so well that we look to him. And when the storm comes, we are enduring the storm. And we curl up in the back of the boat with Jesus. Say, as long as you're here. Disciples, followers of Jesus, we trust Jesus. We're walking by faith. And in doing this, we experience life. And life is experienced by grace because of Christ through faith. And as long as Jesus is in the boat with us, we're going to be okay. And, and, and I know that, that for, for many among us, this past year has been a year of storm. It's been a year of difficulty. It's been a year of disappointment, of hanging on, maybe even wondering if your faith will break. You've been leaning so hard on it. Friends, this is the season in which he wants to grow you. 
He wants to grow and mature. And Paul tells us, Romans chapter 10, he says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And we know that the object of our faith is Jesus. So the longer we look at Jesus, the more intently we pursue Jesus, the more the opportunity for that faith to grow. This morning here, we've been looking at Jesus. We're hearing the word of God. And Paul says that grows faith. And so we receive that growing. We receive that, Lord, would you mature us in you? So this morning, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to pray together in a couple of different ways. Stand with me if you would, please. We're going to pray together in a couple of different ways. In a couple of minutes, we're just going to open our prayer tent. Tent walls are kind of thin over here. The kids are awesome. Tent walls over there are a little thin, too. We're going to open the prayer tent. Elders who are able to pray, who are available to pray, prayer ministry team, if you'd make your way over there in just a minute, that'd be great. But just before we kind of invite you to receive personal prayer about the circumstances that are going on, and I hope every one of you would receive that invitation for prayer. We're in this boat together, friends. The body of Christ is such that when one member hurts, we all hurt. And so it's appropriate that we would stand together in acknowledgement of, of that, which, that which has brought pain, that which has brought injury, that which has, has tired and wearied, that which has, has caused fret, and, and perhaps, perhaps in moments or even days you have said, ah, we're going to help us, Jesus. But let me let me speak to three groups who are among us. Maybe you would be one who, who would say, look, I'm actually no faith. I'm actually no faith. I've been wearing a jersey, but I have not got onto the team. I, I have not gotten the boat with Jesus. I'm still inquiring. I'm still curious. And Jesus would say, come get the boat. Come and receive Jesus. Embrace Jesus. And submit everything else in your life under him. Some of us would say, look, I'm just little faith. And I think sometimes we consider that to be a pejorative term, uh, you know, kind of a shameful term. Friends, you're in the boat. You're in the boat. And just like the disciples, Jesus wants to grow you. He wants to mature you. And so, Lord Jesus, I receive, receive the name Little Faith. I'm thanking you that you were my big brother. I'm longing that you would grow me such that I would be great faith. That's my appetite. That's my ambition. That's the trajectory of my life. There are some of us here who you've heard Jesus say, great faith. Great faith. Bless you. Thank you. Continue to pursue him. Never allow pride to set in, but be those who model, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, in order that we would seek him and see his purposes grow in us. This is, friends, this is about a substance of our faith. This is about a strength to our faith. This is about how securely anchored our faith is in Jesus, the immovable, the immovable rock. If you've been exercising your faith arduously this past year, leaning on it, receive the strength that he wants to pray. Lord Jesus, 
Lord Jesus, Son of Man, Son of God. You have all the authority necessary to remove the demons that block our way. You have all the authority necessary to, to still the raging winds and waves. You have all the authority necessary to heal, to command, to cleanse. Truly you are the Son of God. Receive our worship this morning and draw near infusing us with strength, healing the bruises of the injuries of this past year. Strengthen us where we are weary and faint. Here we are, Lord. Here we are, Lord. We're getting into the boat again. Getting into the boat again with you. I'm signing on for another tour of duty because I, like Simon Peter, have to acknowledge, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Visit us corporately. Visit us this morning personally. As we seek you, we pray in the name of Jesus. Yes. Thank you in a posture of worship. Come, receive prayer over by the cross. Lord Jesus, visit us, continue to visit us. Spirit, lead us, we pray.